It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Men. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh, my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Pretty big weekend in Pirate Nation. ECU with two huge victories over... UHC, the epic comeback Friday night, and an equally impressive comeback on Sunday in Chapel Hill. All part of an enormous sports weekend in Greenville. Huge crowds, including a record at Clark LeClaire Stadium, over 6,000. I, I think they may have had a chance to surpass that uh, had there been a game on Saturday. Also, uh, big crowd sellout, first one in many, many years. For uh, Pirate Basketball, Houston's the real deal. Very impressive are the Cougars uh, defensively, and they have steady, good guard play. They're well-coached. They're well-drilled. Uh, nice showing for the Pirates, who uh, all things considered, and uh, we'll hear from both Coach Godwin and from Coach Mike Swartz coming up. Uh, Coach Godwin, a couple of comments after Sunday's game. Swartz, a couple of comments after the Pirate Basketball game. We'll have those for you in a pirate report in a bit. Also, uh, we will have a longer conversation with Cliff Godwin on our Inside the ECU Clubhouse with uh, Coach Godwin uh, coming up in a little bit here. But we start today with some news that uh, was not terribly unexpected. I uh, talked with someone about uh, Coach Godwin in his current state a little while ago, and it was sad to learn, nonetheless, that Terry Holland has passed. He was the age of 80. He died last night. Holland's health had declined since being diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2019. Coach Holland, as we all knew him around here, was the director of athletics from 2004 to 2013. A lot of what you'll see nationally reported on Terry Holland obviously chronicles what he did at Virginia, which was a fledgling uh, at best basketball program, failing basketball program probably, more appropriately, when he arrived on the scene from Davidson to take over as the head coach. And he led Virginia to two Final Fours and uh, won numerous games as its head coach in a 16-year run, which saw him make the NCAAs nine times. Coach Holland was pretty young when he got out of coaching. He got into administration. The retirement was short-lived, as we know. He came to Greenville in 2004, and I think, uh, as we stated this morning, particularly Henry Hinton stated this morning on the radio on Talk of the Town, what Terry Holland did with ECU Athletics was transformative, and this modern era that we are in, this current era that we are in, a lot of it, if not the vast majority of it, can be traced back to the foundation laid by Terry Holland. He came to ECU at a time of dire need, especially with the football program. The athletics campus looks like a seamless setup because of uh, what Terry Holland uh, did to to upgrade those facilities and uh, aesthetically upgrade those facilities. Uh, the scheduling that Terry Holland was able to, to create with his cachet, particularly in football, and even some big basketball games, and then Terry Holland, of course, was uh, instrumental in the hiring of Skip Holtz, instrumental in the hiring of Ruffin McNeil, 
And Terry Holland uh, was, you know, in my mind, a transformative figure in the history of ECU athletics once it is uh, written. And uh, he is someone that uh, I always was impressed with how certainly kind he was, but how classy he was. I always thought Terry Holland epitomized class and and brought a, uh, a certain level of that with him to Greenville and gave the athletic department in a, in a time where, in my opinion, it was a little shaky, uh, gave it a beacon uh, direction and uh, some class that, uh, you know, it could have it needed badly at the time. He brought that to the, to the table, brought that to the fray. So I thought it was important to bring in our, our pal Jay Sunalder today because it's not like we're spending enough time together, right? And uh, I know Jay had a lot of admiration with Coach Holland, a good relationship with Coach Holland as a student athlete. And in the uh, aftermath of that, kind of covering the football program. Sonny, uh, you know, this is something I think we all knew was uh, soon to happen, especially with some recent updates that we had gotten from uh, folks who know Coach Holland and his wife Ann very well, but it doesn't make it any of the less uh, a sad day. Oh, it's, it's so sad just because you know Coach Holland was such a great person and someone I respected so much, but like you hear the impact he made on everybody that he came in contact with, and you know it's like he was so amazing for our university. But, I mean, what a compliment to him is everybody coming out and saying what type of person he was and how he was a better person than he was, you know, coach or athletic director. And he was one of the best coaches and athletic directors there was. So he's going to be missed, and uh, he made a huge impact on everyone. In the formative days of 94-3 The Game, I had a weekly show at night, uh, and you were on one of those with me, actually a lot of those with me, and we had an interv- a chance to interview about a year after or, or two after uh, Coach Holland had uh, left the post, been vacated from the post, however you want to put it, uh, at ECU. And uh, it was kind of a nice, uh, I don't want to say victory lap for Terry, but I thought it was a, a real nice way for him to sort of be spotlighted and remembered. I think he really appreciated that, and I think – People who admired Coach Holland as much as you and I and a lot of others did uh, also appreciated the fact that we put a little shine on him. But I, I don't know if you remember that interview or not, Sonny, but I, I do remember a lot of the things that we talked with Coach Holland about, and he was quite candid with us in that interview on a lot of things that maybe he would not spoken about publicly before. Yeah, he was always so great to talk to. and I mean, he was always going to give you an honest answer, and he was always going to be straightforward. And you know, I remember that, and you know, and it was special to be able to kind of give him, give him, um, you know, his props for everything he he's done. But I just remember conversations I had with him, whether it was when I was in school or out of school, and you just remember how gentle he was, you know, and kind he was, but but somebody that was more than anything just humble. I mean, he was always so humble, and you know, everybody respected him and. When you come in contact with him, you, you felt like you got smarter because he was so smart and he was always, you know, giving you such a thoughtful response, but also he made you want to be a better person as well. I kind of think, and we talked about this a little bit this morning, um, on, on radio when this news broke. I kind of think that if you look at the current era 
of where ECU is. You could obviously trace it back to the lineage of Terry Holland because it was a transformative era. When when I came to school at East Carolina, it was similar time as to when he came to school. And, and what he brought was national credibility and, and his name. Everybody respected. And he came in and, you know, it affected me with him hiring Skip Holtz and what an outstanding hire that was. And then also just with his scheduling, what he was able to do you know, overall for the whole program, but for the football program, you know, we were playing top teams and having those rivalries renewed with NC State and North Carolina and just his overall picture of ECU athletics and what he was able to do to, to grow each sport and, you know, bring the community together. That, that's something, you know, from day one with Coach Holland, he was able to do. You know, the other thing I, I think, is, you know, he, he tied in that whole athletics campus where it, it tied in around Clark LeClaire and, you know, he kind of was there at the end of the Clark LeClaire build, but he tied everything in. So it looks like it's was meant to be like it, it's meant to be. And I, and I thought that was very aesthetically pleasing, but you also could argue, Sonny, that ECU might not be in the American right now if not for Terry Holland. I agree. I mean, he was, he was the reason we got in was his name, his ability to push us there and and to make that deal happen. And what an impact that decision was to, to leave Conference USA and to get into the American. Um, I mean, that's set up our programs and in our, you know, our trajectory to a whole new level. And that's something that that impact is, is still being felt in a positive way today. So. What a huge transition that was to, to the new conference, and he was the leader of that. You know, we can uh, relitigate the Ruff and McNeil uh, tenure here. I mean, obviously there were some successes and some highs. Uh, it was probably trending in the wrong direction near the end, but that also was mishandled by a completely different administration, the moving on. So I, I don't want to necessarily, you know, wade into those waters, but I, you, know, you, you noted Skip Holtz. There was also the decision to bring on Ruffin McNeil, and again we can we can argue this you know success or lack thereof stem to stern. Obviously, it had some great moments. So I mean, I, I think he understood the importance of football, despite being a quote unquote basketball guy, and and made the best hires possible as far as football goes. Well, he, he understood the importance of football and, you know, as a football player, you felt his presence. I mean, he was with the team all the time and you felt that support. I mean, that was the biggest thing was he had relationships with the players. He would talk with you when you're on trips, you know, and I developed a relationship with him after, you know, I played football at ECU. But as, as a player, when you knew you had the top guy, which was Terry Holland and, and his, you know, his name, when you had him supporting you, you felt that and not only did it impact you as far as facilities and, and, you know, that type of support, but him really, you know, caring about you individually, you wanted to win, you know, for Terry Holland, for the school, for, you know, your teammates, but he, he was a huge part of the reason, you know, ECU really changed the football course there once, you know, he got hired and he brought in Skip Holt. That all starts at the top, and that's Terry Holland. Sonny, uh, I do appreciate uh, 
you coming on here for a few minutes. I know you're busy today. Also, thank you for uh, the great work you're doing on the baseball broadcast on ESPN+. Plus. You did a great job on uh, Friday night, so uh, my pleasure to share that uh, epic comeback for the Pirates with you, and uh, we'll see you soon. Well, thanks so much, buddy. I had a great time with you, and you do an amazing job. And Lucky to have you as a partner, and uh, we send our prayers to, to Ian and the family because we're going to miss Coach Holland. So uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. That's Jay Sunhalter uh, talking about his relationship and the impact uh, Terry Holland made on ECU Athletics. All right, uh, we'll get to uh, our pirate report. Comments uh, from Coach Godwin and extended comments from Michael Swartz on the other side on this uh, Monday edition of the Patrick Johnson More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on your flagship home of the ECU Pirates. 94.3 The Game. 8,300. Podcasts about the Pirates and Panthers are available. Sorry about that. I screwed it up. Let me do it again. Podcasts about the Pirates and Panthers available now online at the all-new 94.3thegame.com. And now, back to the P-Man, the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Pirates with an amazing comeback on Friday night as a rally to beat UNC 6-5, six runs in the eighth inning. And then the Pirates yesterday getting a victory at North Carolina as they rallied again in the seventh inning this time to emerge with the victory. This is... Cliff Godwin on the ECU Sports Radio Network afterwards asked about uh, the two games and uh, his reaction to how his team performed. Carolina's a great team. Uh, for whatever reason, we just don't play very good uh, early in the game, but our guys just hung in there. You know, Groves was having to pitch out of jams. He didn't have great command. Um, and then everybody that came in behind him did a good job, man, and uh, just gave us a chance, and then the offense got going. A man, Clonch, comes off the bench, has two at-bats, has a walk and a big HBP in the big inning when, you know, Hoove got the big hit and Starling got the big hit to uh, give us in front of the lead there. So uh, AMAC made a hell of a play. I forget what inning it was, but save, you know, the time run there. So uh, just big boy baseball again. So uh, a great opportunity for us to play a really good team. Seventh inning, uh, the left side of the infield providing some flashy glove work uh, with AMAC and then Barini with a key play. That kept it a one-run game uh, at the time. Of course, Pirates wind up winning it by one run, as you know. And this is uh, Coach Godwin discussing that whole scenario and what would you, what was a, a tremendous seventh inning for the Purple and Gold. Coach Palumbo does an unbelievable job with our infielders, and we always talk about keeping it in if you can't make a play. So Shaq kept it in. And then, you know, Brock was great, man, just, you know, probably – Tried to extend him too long. You know, that's always in, but he was rolling. And then Spivey said he had an inning, so uh, we're just going to throw him back out there in an extremely difficult jam and uh, gets the bunner to pop up and then a fly ball and then ground ball to AMAC. So, uh, so proud of Spivey uh, being willing to come out of the bullpen um, after, you know, being a little bit sore earlier in the week. Amped up and excited and really uh, into it crowd. It was nice to see a big crowd inside of. Williams Arena Minji's Coliseum for basketball. Of course, you would expect that with the number one team. I think that also uh, shows you that there is a lot of enthusiasm for what Coach Swartz is doing and his staff and these players are doing. But, uh, you know, tough defeat because 
they are a very high-level program, uh, Houston is. And they have been for a while. And you've got to have everything go right for you to beat them, much like the Pirates did a couple of years ago during that uh, bizarre COVID season. So, uh, anyway, we, we have uh, some of the post-game thoughts of Mike Swartz, where he discussed, uh, you know, what uh, just, just kind of his thoughts after the game of, as far as rebounding, defense, all of that goes. Bottom line is this, they're the, they're the best rebounding team in the country, or right up there, and they're the best defensive team in the country, right at the very top. And we shoot 12% in the first half. Uh, we don't give ourselves a chance there. And the game was going to come down to rebounding. And, you know, uh, I thought we did a pretty solid job transition D. I thought we did a good job taking care of the ball in terms of actual turnovers. But there's a caveat to that. Uh, the biggest thing is those 17 offensive rebounds. I mean, that is an absolute uh, recipe for disaster versus Houston. Um, and, and we just did not get the job done, period. Uh, but the other piece of that is we only had whatever it was, eight, whatever the number was, eight, eight turnovers, eight. I think it was. But when you miss free throws, that's a turnover. And when you get your shot blocked, that's a turnover. And we said at halftime, we showed our guys what we did from the free throw line, and we had five shots blocked in the first half. In our opinion, that's the equivalent of almost 18 turnovers in that first half between missing free throws and turning the ball over. So, um, you know, disappointed with that aspect of it. Pirates got a gut punch in the first half. I mean, Houston put the clamps on them offensively. Just three made field goals in the first half. Pirates had three turnovers in uh, the first half the other night. But uh, a much better response in the second half, though it, it didn't yield the numbers or the result that uh, you would hope. But uh, Mike Swartz discussing that in the post game. It's like anything. You learn a lot about your program, your team. The guys learn a lot about themselves when they play uh, against an opponent like Houston. And uh, I think our guys are in that locker room. You know, they're disappointed. We're disappointed because it's not about sitting here saying we could have, should have. It's not about that. It's saying, hey, we needed to do this, and we didn't do it. This is a cut-and-dry issue. We needed to block out and rebound. They knew it. If you asked, pulled every one of our guys over here right now and said, what is the key? They said, man, we've worked two days. We understand the rebounding aspect, keeping them off the glass. And we didn't do it. 17 offensive rebounds, and you give. That's why Houston is who they are. They have established that at a very high level, and just so much credit to them. Uh, I do want to say this, though. This crowd uh, was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Just so appreciate Pirate Nation, everybody, the students, the community, uh, the atmosphere that they provided. Uh, They delivered. And, and I wish I could say that we as a, as a ball club delivered uh, equal to them to give them. A, it, it, it was a great feel in here, a great atmosphere. There were some good moments, uh, you know, and just unfortunately we couldn't, we couldn't give them enough to, uh, to, to be on their feet the whole game. More from Coach Swartz who talked about uh, shot selection in the first half, or excuse me, second half for East Carolina. Houston is an elite defensive team. They make it very difficult. We obviously came out, you know, you can see the difference. In the second half, we we went to a different offense. We went to a spread offense where we were really looking to get downhill drives more off of spacing than sets. Houston's a hard team to run sets with, but you're going to come into the game, you're going to try and work what has been good. I don't want to turn it into a game where it's just open the floor up and drive it early. We maybe we tried to go to it a few times in the first half. We didn't have the same success that we had within the second half. But that being said, you know, there's still two wide-open layups we missed in the first half, and if you miss, 
what was it, six or eight free throws in the first half, that's big. Yeah. You're down 15 at halftime, 17 at halftime. If it's 10 or 9, it's a totally different story. Mm-hmm. And, again, Houston outplayed us in every which way. But if you're looking up at that clock with 10 minutes to go in the game and it's an 11-point game, it feels a lot different than a 17-point game. And, and in my opinion, the free throws are the difference in that, in that aspect. You keep this game in a three- or four-possession game with this crowd the way it was, I don't know what happens but I know it feels different down the stretch. Mike Swartz asked uh, in the postgame about uh, the big sellout crowd and the community and the campus getting behind the program uh, long-term, not just on Saturday night. I told the guys in one of the timeouts late in the game, I said, guys, we're going to build this where it feels like this in here a lot. Yeah. And, and I understand right now what we're trying to get done in this particular game, but we're going to build this where it feels like this no matter who we're playing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that, it, to me, is going to be a credit to this community, to our administration, to everybody that put in to make to have the environment we had tonight. And our students, and it's the Minji Maniacs, and it's, you know. It, administration, it, everybody. Incredible. Right. And so, but, but our goal, without a doubt, and I believe we can do it, Mike, uh, because this is a special place. This is a place, you know, we, we, we get close to 4,000 every game. We're right in that way. Tonight was close to seven. And yeah. I think if we give this community something to get behind and be excited about, that it'll be an event every time the Pirates have a home game. And if we have 17, 18, 19 home games, we can get it to feel like this, a Absolutely. lot of those games. Over 7,500 attended the game and over 1,700 students in attended Saturday night. Mike Swartz on that. You know what? I have to tell you, I just cannot appreciate again enough what the students did, this community being here. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm almost heartbroken that we couldn't deliver for them. That That's really, you know, as disappointed as I am with the result of the game. But just so, you can't say it enough, the appreciation I have for this crowd, the atmosphere. And if they just stick with us and want to come back and have that feeling here, I can promise you this that this place will be a very fun place every single time our guys step on the fo- on the court. So the Pirates have quite an incredible stretch coming up. They'll have two-lane Wednesday night, a 9 o'clock tip in Greenville. That's the home finale for ECU. Uh, and then they will turn around and play the makeup from the game that was postponed a couple of weeks ago. That game will be played Friday night in New Orleans, 7 o'clock. And then we'll have, uh, or ECU will have, and we'll have for you on radio uh, coverage of uh, the regular season finale against UCF in Orlando on Sunday. So it's quite a run here for the Pirates coming up. Mike Swartz on what was uh, or could have been taken and can be taken from uh, the other night and applied to this uh, tough run coming up to close the week. Tulane is an because ext- we prepared for Tulane already one time. And so I know how talented Tulane is offensively. Uh, they run, you know, they have a unique defense that we'll have to, you know, kind of readjust to get back to the two days we had leading up to that game the first time and talk about that because, you know, you're going to do a lot of the same things, but you got to have some things ready for that. And you know what? But, but in the end of the day, Tulane is the team that's in second place in this league, and we get them back-to-back games, two games and three nights. You almost have to approach it like 80-minute game, an 80-minute game, and you got to go in there, and we got to look at what we did tonight to build off of. Uh, I know one thing, that rebounding will be our first and foremost, though.
So some more house cleaning uh, tonight. We have Inside ECU Athletics coming up from Logan's Roadhouse at the top of the hour. That'll be at 6 o'clock. Tomorrow, ECU baseball at the 345 airtime. So that will be a 4 o'clock first pitch from Durham as East Carolina takes on Duke. We'll get Coach Godwin's comments on that coming up in a little bit. That game is uh, going on tomorrow, so there will be no PJ show for you tomorrow. Coming up on Wednesday... We have uh, ECU basketball on 107.9 WNCT and 94.3 the game, the 9 o'clock tip-off between the Pirates and the Tulane Green Wave, 8 o'clock coverage here on 94.3 the game. Friday on uh, 94.3 the game, Pirate Baseball, right now scheduled to begin at 4.15 and a 4.30 first pitch, Tulane ECU in New Orleans at 7 o'clock on Friday night on 107.9 WNCT. So that will be a 6.30 pregame airtime on 107.9 WNCT for Friday for Pirate Basketball. Pirate Baseball back here on Saturday at 4.15 with a 4.30 first pitch in the LeClaire Classic. And then Sunday on WTIB, baseball will shift over to... There, 1037 WTIB, 315 airtime, 330 first pitch. Uh, and uh, Pirate Basketball will air on 94-3. The game at 130 will be the uh, pregame on the network airtime that particular day. So that's uh, sort of the house cleaning what we got coming up uh, on the radio side this week. All right, that's today's Pirate Report, uh, our Inside the ECU Clubhouse segment with Cliff Godwin is in just a matter of minutes. This is Chris Cook here with your 94.3 The Game sports update. Starting off, Terry Holland, who led East Carolina's Department of Athletics from 2004 through 2013 and who coached the University of Virginia basketball program to a pair of Final Fours and nine NCAA tournaments in 16 seasons, died Sunday in Charlottesville. The 80-year-old Holland was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2019 and had recently entered the Memory Care Center of the seniors' community where he resided with his wife, Ann. Holland was born in Clinton and played college basketball at Davidson. Two ECU women's basketball players earned weekly AC honors. Amaya Jorner was awarded Freshman of the Week, while Danae McNeil was named Player of the Week. East Carolina scored four runs in the top of the seventh to overtake number 12 North Carolina 6-5 Sunday afternoon. The Pirates completed the weekend home-and-home sweep of the Tar Heels 4-3 and and have won six of the last ten meetings in the series. The East Carolina softball team finished up the Pirate Clash on a high note, defeating Radford 6-4 to on Sunday afternoon at Maxar Joyner Stadium. With the win, the Pirates are 12-3 and and off to their best start since the 20, or excuse me, 2005 season. Duke returns tomorrow to host U, uh, NC State at Cameron Indoor Stadium. The Blue Devils have won four in a row. The 24-ranked Wolfpack are coming off a 25-point loss to Clemson. It will be the regular season finale for NC State. Wake Forest plays host to Boston College tomorrow night also. And finally, the Panthers are freeing up some some salary cap space. The team announced over the weekend that it restructured the contract of guard Austin Corbett. That'll do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Update. This sports update is brought to you by Team Boneyard, an NIL initiative directly supporting Pirate student-athletes. For info on how to join, please visit teamboneyard.org. More of the Patrick Johnson Show on the other side of of this quick timeout right here on 94.3 The Game. 
your home of the ECU Pirates, Dan Patrick and Adam Gold, 94.3 The Game, Eastern Carolina's home for sports. And now, back to the P-Man. Back, back, back. The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Pirate baseball coming off a uh, big, big weekend. Huge weekend. Big, big. Uh, Coach Godwin joining us uh, here as we talk uh, ECU baseball. Uh, Coach, congratulations. Uh, what a gutsy performance by your team uh, and a against a, an outstanding uh, pitcher's duel on Friday night, and then the crowd really got electric. It was awesome. I still have goosebumps talking about it, and then uh, congrats on Sunday's win. Winning on the road's never easy. It's always precious. Great weekend for the Pirates. Yeah, it was a really good weekend. I'm proud of our guys, the way they fought and showed a lot of resilience. Um, you know, uh, I told them after the game yesterday, we're going to need to play better earlier in games just because we're not going to always be able to do that. But um, show some toughness, um, some grittiness, and I thought the guys out of the bullpen did a really good job yesterday. No, they absolutely did. We'll, we'll get into that game in a, in a second, but, you know, obviously we can go back to Friday night because uh, a big prize fight atmosphere. And uh, what was interesting is, I mean, Carlson, as you said, and as I said, you got to tip your hat. I mean, what a what a player. Uh, probably both he and you, Savage, deserve better fates as well as they pitched uh, for their respective sides. But uh, when you got to the bullpen in the eighth inning, it became that, that kind of Clark LeClaire magic started to happen. Yeah, Carlson was tremendous. I mean, we had no answer for him. And, you know, we thought we had a good plan um, going into the game, and we just couldn't. Get above his fastball, and he had a really good changeup, which is really good, really effective against left-handed hitters. Which we have eight left-handed hitters in our lineup, so that made it tough on us. And, but yeah, I told the guys before the game, uh, you got to get the crowd into it. So uh, Amax walking the eight um, got the crowd going a little bit, and um, of course Josh Moreland's double, and um, and then Starlin's you know big knot um, after who got a guy in. So. Um, we definitely don't win that game for not playing at home, in my opinion. I thought the crowd uh, really made them feel the pressure of Clark Leclerc Stadium late in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, another those same guys factored in Sunday's game, but but Josh Moylan, oh, and he could really go back uh, to to Amac. But I mean, in that in that eighth inning, uh, guys with just two strike hitting, the way that they uh, drove what was uh, presented to them and, and didn't try to do too much. I mean. That was really some some good stuff, and and I think shows the ability of your guys uh, being battle tested. But the two strike hitting, particular well, both games really. The two strike hitting late was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, Amac took a really close three uh, two pitch to get to draw a walk, start that inning, and then Josh got down 0-2, I think, and, and battled, and and was able to put the barrel on the baseball for a double. Um, and then you go to Sunday, uh, JC's was, uh, with two strikes and Starlings was with two strikes and, um, you know, we're able to put together a big inning. Uh, nice to see on Friday night, uh, Wyatt Lunsford Shinkman coming back and he gets the win, came out of the pen, uh, and, uh, and gave you two thirds of an inning where he fanned a couple of Tar Heels, turning the game over to Zach Root. And we talked right before we went on with this program here. I mean, what a huge moment for the freshman. Uh, Shankman did a great job and, and really was a momentum swing because I think we're down 3 nothing at that time. We need to get off the field. and He had a couple big strikeouts there. And um, that's right before we were able to, you know, put some uh, – put the runs on the board that we needed. And then Root 
came in and to be a freshman in that kind of atmosphere did a outstanding job he's he's a, a confident guy you know he, he believes in himself and even after we misplayed a ball in the outfield he still hung in there and we had to go through the top part of their order which their top two guys are really good I mean they're really good offense but the top of their lineup's really good and he had to you know make some big pitches to get us out of that jam and to to win and uh with the time run at third um go ahead run at home plate uh, for a freshman to be out there in front of six thousand pretty pretty impressive yeah, uh, we saw uh, Lunsford Shinkman come back uh, for you yesterday uh, briefly. Uh, Eric Ritchie winds up with the win. Tyler Brandt, uh, oh boy, uh, talk about uh, what, what a great uh, weapon to have out of out of that bullpen. And, and you've talked about him a lot in the preseason here in the early season uh, and what he has brought to your roster. Uh, then it was great to see Carter Spivey come in and work a clean inning and get the uh, – Get the save yesterday, uh, Spivey back, and uh, I know he wanted the baseball, didn't he, Coach? Yeah, Spivey definitely wanted to pitch. You know, he felt good yesterday, and we told him that it would be a you know closing opportunity. Uh, we really the game plan was to to put him in a clean inning, not to put him out there first and second, no outs. But like you mentioned, Richie did a great job um, yesterday. Um, also, brought did an outstanding job, and we were stretching him probably a little bit too far, but he had put us in a position to win and thought he earned that um, situation. They got a swinging, you know, bunt single, um, which I think they called it an error, but it was a tough mm-hmm. play for A-Mac. And then, you know, he's trying to go fastball in with two strikes with a left-handed hitter, and he hit him. I mean, he's going for it, and uh, I don't fault him for that because if you leave the ball over the middle of the plate, the guy would hit it out. So, um, and then we went to Spivey, and they popped up a bunt, and Spivey's been out there before. He's out there a lot last year in those situations, and uh, his mentality, as much as anything, got him through that to allow us to get a win. Coach Cliff Godwin, we're talking Pirate baseball. Uh, great weekend for the Pirates. Great crowd. Uh, Coach, just again, uh, you know, announced at over 6,000, uh, a record crowd. A lot of people there. I'm not saying that there wasn't when they announced it over 6,000. Seems like there might have been a few more at the Texas series. I don't, but but I'm not going to quibble with those. Those numbers. But, uh, I mean, what an electric crowd on Friday night in Greenville. It was electric. There wasn't as many people um, there on Friday night as the Super Rays <laughs> on um, I just, uh, you can say whatever the numbers are, but, uh, you know, the grandstand didn't have as many people as, as the Texas Super Regional. I mean, there wasn't an empty seat, you know, Texas right, Super right, Regional. Yeah. And, uh, it, look, it was an awesome crowd. Don't get me wrong, but. You know, when people ask me, I'm like, no, there wasn't as many people. I mean, there's like 7,000 people there for the Texas Super Regional. They just couldn't announce that many. Right, right. Uh, And, and, you know, I've noticed this. A lot of people do like to kind of stand and walk during the games, you know, in that area from the top of the grandstand to the bottom. I I think there were a lot of nervous Pirate fans, maybe upstanding a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, from my mom. You know, Peyton, so... Uh, Well, Coach, (laughs) let's get to uh, a couple players I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you know, it's Riley Johnson. You've, uh, inserted him a couple of times, uh, into the lineup in late game situations. He's, uh, come on and hit a home run. He's come on defensively, got the start in, at North Carolina yesterday. Uh, and, uh, could you tell us a little bit about this young man and kind of his, his road in a, in a pirate uniform and, uh, what it's been like for the junior out of Virginia, uh, since, uh, joining the program and, and how he's kind of come along? Well, you go back to his freshman year, he's kind of thrown into the fire a little bit when Hooper um, 
had that collision with Norby, mm-hmm. and I, I thought he, uh, you know, played like a freshman at times, put too much pressure on himself, where in the fall he had had a really good fall for us. I mean, he's a super dynamic player. He's one of the fastest guys on our team. He's the best defensive outfielder on our team, um, and he's a good hitter. I think sometimes he doubts himself offensively. Um, I probably believe he's a better hitter at times than he does, but he's a really good player. Um you know, he's probably the only guy that scores from first base on Mullins' double. Um, it's actually closer than I anticipated um, on Friday night. But he's been a great teammate. He works his tail off, and he's just been a pleasure to be around. And last year was hurt. Um, he had shoulder surgery during the spring um, for his non-throwing shoulder. Um, it just kept popping out, and um, so he'll actually get a red shirt for that year. But um, great piece to to the Pirates team, and and that's the the cool thing about a team. And there's a lot of guys that have been super selfless. I mean, you know, a lot of people won't talk about Clunch, but he gets inserted into the game yesterday, has a tough walk, um, his first at bat, and then has an HBP mm-hmm. in the middle of the big inning. Um, which um, those are tough at bats, man. And the guy coming off the bench and and Clunch is um, a guy that is extremely competitive and you know, do whatever to help the team win. You know, I'm glad you brought him up, Coach Godwin. He, he, there's someone who uh, the majority of, 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 of guys that are in his position wouldn't be as selfless as he is, and he's a he's a talented enough guy. He can play anywhere in the country. So, I mean, uh, kudos to him. As you say, some tough ABs yesterday, uh, but someone that it, it brings you some versatility and some pop to what he can do offensively. Yeah, and, and he brings a lot of toughness to our team because he puts together tough at bats. I mean, he'll, you know, foul off pitches with two strikes and he does have some full side power, but, um, super competitive in the box. And, and like you could see yesterday, man, in, in crucial moments, he put together really good at bats. Coach Godwin, uh, talking pirate baseball with, uh, him. Luke Nowak, uh, has maybe emerged on the scene a little sooner than, than most fans, uh, had anticipated three steals at Campbell, including, uh, stealing his way into a, uh, a situation where the go-ahead run at the time was 90 feet away. Coach uh, Luke Nowak, uh, let Pirate fans know about uh, this young man's path to where he's uh, cracked the lineup and how he's performed so far in the early part of the year. Well, as a freshman, you know, they, they just you never know what you're going to get. And um, he needed some work in the outfield, was super fast, probably, you know, doubted himself a little bit. And then he went out last summer and played um, and played great. But the same kind of injury that Riley Johnson had last spring, uh, diving back into the, a bag, his non-throwing shoulder just kept popping out. So we got it fixed uh, right before the fall semester started. So he missed the entire fall, mm-hmm. could not play um, in any of our inner squads. So, you know, getting him back in the spring, I hit him lead off on one side just to get him as many at-bats as, as possible um, going into the season. And he just knows the strike zone. He's, really aware of what type of player he is. He knows if he hits the ball to the ground left side, it's going to be really hard for them to throw him out. Um, he's really strong, so he's actually got some juice in his bat that people you know don't see at times. And he just puts together tough at-bats and puts a lot of pressure on the defense, especially with the speed at the plate, but also once he gets to first base. Uh, Coach, you referenced Lane Hoover a little bit earlier in uh, our, our chat with you here. He had a couple of hits yesterday, factored big in the uh, eighth inning in Greenville on Friday night, and uh, it's just steady, as you say, out there uh, in uh, in left field for you. Veteran guy and uh, has been uh, another class representative of the Pirate program. 
Uh, Lane Hoover's season to date, Coach, and just uh, the intangibles. He just seems like the guy that brings a lot of intangibles to the ballpark every day. Yeah, he's a stud, and he makes our team better. Um, even if he's not doing, you know, what you know, fans or anybody else thinks he should do offensively. I thought he pressed early um, because he cares so much about this place. And I grabbed him after Campbell and just said, hey, man, I want you to have more fun. I don't say that to a lot of guys, but he's earned those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, even yesterday when the pitching changed, I was like, hey, man, this is your moment. Have some fun, man. And, and he smokes the ball down the left field line for a double and RBI. Um, he's in the middle of it all. You know, he's in the middle of it in the eighth inning on uh, Friday night as well. So, he is a leader of our team and, and really kind of a heartbeat of our team. You know, and now the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. You know, and uh, Sonny said this to you in a conversation we had uh, prior to the season about what a great representative all your players were that we've talked to. But he, he just seems like uh, that that guy who uh, is really the epitome of, of, of what it means to be a pirate. So, uh, again, congratulations to you and the coaching staff, uh for, for, and, and the young men, because I mean, they just—they're they're a great representative of the program and the university. And uh, I don't—you know—we fans and people look at—you know—they're players, they root for them, but these—these these are just good young men too. So I, I wanted to say that publicly to well, you. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And uh, Lane's had to earn everything he's ever gotten because you know when you're five foot eight, yeah. everybody always doubts you, and he's had to earn it and uh, have to prove himself every step of the way. And I'm just so proud of him. Coach, uh, Jacob Starling has uh, really uh, emerged offensively, another case of a guy being healthy and uh, being productive and not only solid defensively, uh, but also uh, swinging a great at bat. And and I think, uh, you know, he's talked a little bit about being inserted, batting where he is in the lineup, and and I think that's given him even more confidence. Well, he's, he's earned it. You know, last year, you know, a lot of people would talk about he's, you know, kind of a clutch guy and in big moments. He, but he really wasn't as consistent as what we always thought he could be as coaches. And of course, he wasn't 100% healthy last year with that leg, but you know, he did have some big moments and he really didn't have a great fall. And coach Bortles really, you know, has worked with him and talked to him about approach. He's always had a, a really short swing and a compact swing and, and bat speed and, man, he's really just had a tremendous approach and used the whole field. And you can see what type of hitter he can be when he's, you know, got that kind of maturity. So I'm um, super proud of him. He's worked hard um, to get where he is, and uh, we're glad he's healthy. Coach, I want to talk about uh, some of the things on the docket this week. Uh, Duke sweeping Baylor and just uh, pouring a bunch of runs on them. Uh, and uh, just generally speaking, when you look at the Blue Devils, Chris Pollard, what a job he's done, and the Pirates and Blue Devils always play uh, high emotion competitive games. Yeah, they'll they'll be fired up for us to to go over there. We're just playing them one time this year, so it's in Durham and in the AAA Park. And Coach Pollard does a great job. Eric Tyler, who played here, is now on their staff, mm-hmm. so um, I'm sure they'll be you know raring to go to to face the Pirates when tomorrow rolls around. 
And then this weekend, it is uh, the uh, one of the great annual traditions, the Claire Classic, uh, Indiana, Long Beach State, the Dirtbags, and uh, Georgetown will be uh, in Greenville participating along with ECU as well. Uh, so some quality uh, programs uh, coming in, and uh, most importantly, a chance to uh, honor the, the legacy of the great Keith LeClaire coach. Yeah, it's such a tremendous uh, event, in my opinion, and um, just to continue to honor Coach LeClaire and his legacy, because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Coach LeClaire. The stadium wouldn't be here. You know, these nice facilities we have, the passion for ECU baseball, all that goes back to when Coach was here, in my opinion, and he really changed the trajectory of ECU baseball um, and, and gave us a vision, you know, when I was here, so... I'm so thankful for the LeClaire family and, and Lynn and Audrey and J.D. will be here this weekend, so we're fired up to see those guys. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, when you came to the program and Coach LeClaire was, was hired, do you recall the first time you guys had a meaningful or one-on-one uh, interaction? Well, uh, I redshirted under Coach O, and then mm-hmm. Coach LeClaire was hired that summer. So the mm-hmm. first time I, I met Coach LeClaire was with, Coach uh, James Rabbit Fulgham and Howard McCullough over at Strickland and Dales. We had lunch, and uh, I was scared to death because I redshirted on a bad team, and uh, this guy's talking about going to Omaha in the College World Series. So that was my first uh, interaction with Coach McClure. A lot of a lot of baseball knowledge at that table. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it sure was. A lot of success and a lot of good young men uh, built out of, out of that uh, group there. Wow. Awesome stuff. Coach, uh, when you look uh, to this week, uh, as they always are, challenging weeks, uh, how do you build off of what the Pirates did this weekend? Well, uh, we need to get you know some of the guys that play every day off their feet today and um, get them some some uh, you know treatment to, as far as getting them fresh for tomorrow. And then uh, you know some of our younger guys, we're going to work those guys out today that haven't been on the field a whole lot, and we need to be ready for a tough test come tomorrow because it will be challenged again tomorrow absolutely coach thanks for the time it's always great to catch up with you thanks Patrick. appreciate it you can always check out inside the ecu clubhouse with coach cliff godwin in podcast form every monday on 943thegame.com tomorrow so we will not have the patrick johnson show for you but we will be back on wednesday with a fresh edition of the pj show another big week ahead for ecu athletics so we'll go inside ecu athletics from logan's roadhouse coming up here on the ecu sports radio network right here on 94.3 the game thanks to ben b baby byram thanks to chris cook thanks to jay sunholder for being with us and coach godwin as well I'll see you tomorrow morning on Talk of the Town. Happy birthday to my dad, Kelly Johnson. We love you, Coach. Exciting weekend for him and a really nice time with uh, the grandkids. All right, uh, we'll break and greet you again on Wednesday in this uh, time slot.